So with all of us coming together like this, all the laity who have come to practice the Dhamma, um, have this firm intention um, to join together on this uh, online uh, retreat. It's it's a very good thing. And um, the reason that we're able to come is because of the sacrifices of all the people who have helped to arrange this, to organize it. And... uh, and so they've done a very good job, and things are going smoothly, so both the monastics and the laity. And uh, so I give my Anamodana, I rejoice in their goodness and their efforts, and also uh, for everyone who has come to practice together, that we have uh, this sincerity, this uh, good intention to train our minds, to get to know about our own minds. So we can ask, what is this mind? And why is it that feelings of displeasure or stress or pain, suffering arises? Because none of us want that suffering. We can see that really this mind isn't anything at all. It's just an element, it's a knowing element. Uh, But when it knows already, then problems can arise because it's possible for that knowing element to become deluded and that delusion leads to attachment. And when it's deludedly attached in this way, then this becomes the cause for suffering to arise. So all of us likely know about the Four Noble Truths that the Buddha taught, the truth of stress or suffering, uh, the cause of that, its cessation and the path of practice leading to its sensation. We see that suffering is something very natural, but none of us wish for to meet with it, none of us want for it to arise. And it's not the case that we're able to abandon suffering directly, because the suffering, it has a mother and a father, it has causes and conditions. So it's this ignorance, craving and clinging which are the causes for suffering to arise. And when these are present, then suffering must arise. So we need to get to know and understand this dukkha, this stress or suffering. And uh, we've already heard that it's pain within the body, pain within the mind, um, being separated from the things that we like and love, not getting what we want. This is all dukkha or suffering. And if we put all these together, or we summarize this, we can say that um, suffering comes due to attachment towards uh, rupa, form, and then vedana, feeling, sanya, memory or perception, uh, sankhara, is mental formations, or thoughts, feelings, and vijnana, sense consciousness. And when there's attachment to these things, then dukkha arises. So what should we do with that, uh, when that dukkha is there? The Buddha taught um, that we should get to know it. Uh, That when suffering arises, then we should ask ourselves, what is that suffering like? And uh, so we have mindfulness there, knowing that it has come up, knowing that it's this way, it's just like this. And uh, if we don't bring that awareness up, then we'll constantly be trying to get free from it, 
trying to run away from it. And uh, we just won't want that suffering. So what we're trying to do is be free from suffering, but in a way that is devoid of wisdom. And we see that there are huge numbers of people in the world who try to relieve their suffering like this. They try to find something to solve their suffering. But all they end up by doing is just overlaying suffering upon suffering upon suffering. That when they feel stressed, um, they feel unhappy, then they go out and drink or they gamble or they go and kind of deludedly find amusement in the things of this world. And this isn't the right path. It's not the way that can really lead us out of this, but rather it's the path that leads to chaos and confusion. And uh, by doing this, a lot of people get very stressed and they can develop neuroses. And people can even destroy their own lives um, due to their depression. So, and this is because they simply don't understand the suffering that arises in their hearts. So we come to listen to teachings of the Dhamma and when we hear these we know that we should be mindful over the suffering and see that the suffering is just something natural. That it's not necessary for us to hate this dukkha or for, to bring up the desire for it not to arise. Because that suffering itself, it doesn't want to be born either. That suffering doesn't want to arise. But it's just when the causes and conditions are there, then it must arise. And it's this craving, this clinging, which brings it up. So therefore we try to bring up um, awareness and to know these things um, as they're happening, to know the suffering that's there and then get to study about it, to know it. And we see that the mind is something which receives and knows um, sense impressions. And then it often gets deluded in those sense impressions as well. That if there's a form that we like or love or a sound that we really like, um, then this too can become a cause for suffering to arise. And uh, when the suffering comes up, then it can very easily turn into a hindrance, something that prevents peace from coming up. And when there's no peace, then uh, we will never see the Dhamma, not even once. Uh, because of this constant presence of craving, of clinging, that's um, stirring up the mind. So just like when we see a form that's beautiful, or we hear a sound that's very pleasant, or we taste food that's delicious, um, or anything that we find to be attractive, to be lovely, um, then lust can arise, liking, pleasure towards these things can come up. And if there's a lot of pleasure, and this grows and grows, then this can really aggravate the heart, bring up a lot of inner heat. And uh, so, for example, if we have liking or pleasure towards a form, whether it's our body or another person's body, then this can bring up liking or pleasure. And this pleasure we can call lust. So this is raga or lust, and it's the same thing as um, 
pleasure. And uh, so, if there is this liking there in a form, and we take that form to be beautiful, then lust comes up. So this can happen within our own bodies as well, that there's liking towards our own bodies and lust comes up. And uh, so what we need to do is just to know that this has arisen, that this raga, it's not a good thing. It's a cause for suffering to arise. Um, but what often happens then is that we develop aversion towards it. We don't want for that lust to arise. We don't want to have these feelings. We don't want to have these kinds of thoughts. What we need to understand is that it's natural for all of these feelings to come up in our hearts. And uh, what's really important is that we get to know it um, as it arises. We know these things. We know all the lust, all the anger that comes up. We don't try and refuse it. We don't try to just outright reject it or to wish for it to disappear really quickly or to wish for it to not arise at all. Uh, because if we think in this way, then this is just another form of craving, of desire that's coming up, what we call vipava tanha, uh, the craving not to be or not to have. And so if anger comes up, if lust comes up, um, then we know that it's just that way and that uh, the mind is suffering due to these things. So when the mind has um, any of these feelings, whether it's uh, lust, whether it's anger, whether it's delusion, and we need to get an understanding of that. And um, this knowing, this understanding, it fits within the Satipatthana Sutta because it's having mindfulness over the mind itself, looking right at the mind, knowing that raga, this lust, has arisen, dosa, anger, has arisen, moha, or delusion, has arisen already. And we know that when it has arisen, then the heart will suffer. And uh, even the things that we like, if we attach to them, then this brings us to suffering. A suffering comes up and sometimes it can come up really, really strong in things or because of things that we really like or love. And uh, so when we have feelings of anger, of hate come up or there's lust that comes up, we need to just know that the mind is in this state, that it has these qualities in it. And if our mindfulness is well established, if samadhi, it's collectedness of mind, is very strong, then we can just know that, that it's come up already. And when we know that, then the mind is in a skillful place. The mind is skillful at that time. And this phenomenon of lust, we know that this is something unskillful. Uh, but the mind itself has mindfulness, it has wisdom, so it's in a skillful place. It's giving rise to skillfulness. So we know that this raga arises and ceases, and then that knowing itself, that wisdom, also arises and ceases. And here is where we will experience niroda, the cessation of suffering, or the, the non-arising of suffering, of all suffering. And uh, we experience temporary nibbana, this uh, tatanga vimuti. And initially this can just be a small amount. Uh, but when we have mindfulness here in the mind, um, then if there's strength of heart, if our samadhi is strong, um, then our mindfulness will work well. 
and we'll be able here to stop any unskillful uh, states from arising. But in the beginning, when we're practicing, then it's natural for these things to come up. It's natural for the mind to find pleasure in things, for lust to arise, for anger to arise, for delusion to arise. So we must contemplate and reflect that these things are just natural. It's not the case that we're able to just destroy them all in one go. Uh, Because lust, it's something that's very natural in the world. It actually gives people inspiration to go out and get a family, to have kids. It's something that's very natural for people to experience. Uh, But So what we need to do is to make sure that we have this foundation of sila, dhamma, of virtue, of moral integrity. And uh, even though these feelings may come up very strong, we can make sure they're kept within the bounds of virtue. But for those of us who are intent to train our minds to a higher level, to bring them up to uh, the space where they're able to experience emptiness, freedom from all of these feelings of liking and disliking, from all uh, greed, hatred and delusion, then we need to train our minds to bring them to contemplate. So when this lust arises, then we know that it's arisen. And if the mind just carries on thinking about this, if it proliferates um, upon this, if if there's a lot of energy behind it, then we'll just take everything as being attractive and beautiful. So we must be mindful here, following up on what our hearts are doing. And so we need to think about things a bit um, further than just this, to not just believe what this lust is telling us. When there's this proliferation going on, we should take it a bit further, we shouldn't just stop there. We should tell ourselves that you know, actually this body, it's something that we can't control. It's something that needs to get old, doesn't it? It's going to get ill at some point, isn't it? It's not just something that we should you know, get distracted by or get, find amusement in. You know, it's not just happiness that we're going to experience if we have a family. But people are going to get sick. And sickness is something natural to this body. It's not something that we're able to stop. And there are many, many forms of suffering, of difficulty that arises due to these bodies. And in the end, all the things that we love, all the bodies that we love, whether it's our body, the body of other people, we're going to have to be separated from all of these. And then the cause for suffering will come up and then we'll suffer again. So if we contemplate in this way, then the amount of proliferation, the narrative that our mind is giving rise to should steadily reduce. And then in its place, peace will come up. And so there are many monks um, of old, many of these very senior monks who have had to really fight in their practice. And uh, it's natural for these um, feelings to come up because they've been in the heart for an extremely long time now. Uh, But, and there's what's kind of um, taken us to be born again in this life. But we need to put up a fight as well and to practice and to contemplate until we can give rise to inner peace. 
until we can uh, get to the point where we're able to uh, destroy or eradicate um, this lust. And so we should contemplate this body well and see that if the breath isn't there for just five minutes or ten minutes, then it will pass away. And all of these elements, or the whole body, it will become hard uh, because the air isn't flowing through it. And then the liquids in the body, they start to go off and smell starts arising. We see that if we throw a dead body into a charnel ground, um, then it starts swelling, it becomes green and it gives off a bad smell. It starts breaking apart, the blood flows out of it and different animals can come and eat it. And then the bacteria works on it as well. It starts um, decaying or uh, breaking down the body and a smell arises. And uh, everything falls apart and it's the bones that take the longest time to deteriorate. So we contemplate that when the body dies, then it's like this. It's something that's really not attractive. And we can ask ourselves, well, how is it then that we can become deluded by our own bodies and the bodies of other people? So we need to come back and have mindfulness here in the body. So initially we may have mindfulness of the mind, knowing what feelings are coming up. If we see this raga, this lust coming up, then we take it back to the body. And if we're able to really know this, um, to um, see this in time and understand it, then that shows that our minds have energy. And so, so we can see that this lust it's just a phenomena that arises and ceases, and that liking is just a dhamma that comes and goes. And so we see all of this just as being dhamma. And so if our mindfulness is strong, if our samadhi is there, and we're able to stay with us, um, then we can do it. We can practice in this way. Uh, but sometimes uh, these things just don't stick. Sometimes our samadhi is weak and these feelings of lust are very strong and the proliferation that happens is uh, very intense. And so we need to see these things just arising and ceasing, arising and ceasing, and then come back to look in this body. We can recite these words of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin. And uh, this should still the lust that we have. But if it's still there, then we can contemplate even further and contemplate, well, when the body is dead, then what will it be like then? When these, body, when these organs start to decay, when pus starts flowing out, um, and then there's uh, the intestines there and the feces in the intestines, and then maggots start filling up this corpse and start eating it, um, then uh, you know, we'll see that what this body is like when it's dead. And perhaps all of us have seen some kind of animal that's died already and there are maggots infesting it. And, uh, and if we don't burn uh, a dead corpse like this, um, then you know, these things come and eat it and the bacteria uh, consumes it. So we contemplate that if I was to die, then my body would be like this. And anyone who's thrown into a charnel ground, um, that their bodies turn out to be like this. They're not beautiful. So we contemplate back and forth, back and forth in this way. 
And uh, it should mean that the thinking that goes on that's based upon this lust uh, becomes less. Because if that lust is there, then the heart will be very hot. There will be a great amount of heat inside our minds. Uh, But when we contemplate um, to see the Dhamma, um, we can use this aspect of asubha kamatana, um, seeing the unattractive side of the body, and there are ten types of this. So we just pick up whichever kind we feel that we like and contemplate that. And uh, if we see that clearly, that really this thing isn't beautiful, uh, we see that when the body dies, it's not uh, beautiful, then we can wonder, well, how is it that I was able to get attracted uh, by this thing in the first place? And here this shows that an understanding in the Dhamma has arisen. So there was one monk during the time of the Buddha who had a lot of barami, he had a lot of uh, spiritual virtues, and his samadhi was very good. But at the same time, um, there was a lot of raga that arose, this lust came. And uh, this came up because when he was in the city one time, he saw a woman called Sirima, who was renowned for being the most beautiful woman in that city. And so he just saw her and then he started thinking and thinking and imagining and wondering, well, you know, she's not so young now and she's this beautiful, so what would she have been like when she was younger? And so all this thinking was going on and he wasn't able to extract this uh, from this, from his heart. And he even went on arms round and came back, but he just wasn't able to eat the food uh, that he had uh, because this lust was filling up his heart and it went very deeply into his heart as well. Even though he had great samadhi, the samadhi was also something that, uh, it's also something that arises and ceases. So the Buddha knew about this. He knew uh, what was going on with this monk. And very soon after this, uh, this woman, Sirima, she died. And uh, the Buddha was invited to do her cremation ceremony. So the Buddha invited this one monk who had a lot of lust towards her to go to this cremation ceremony as well. And there the Buddha asked everyone present, well, who wants this woman now? Who wants to take her body? Uh, that before, there were many people who were attracted towards her, but who would like her now? And how much money would you pay to have her? And no one wanted her because her body was dead. And uh, there was no lust uh, that was arising towards that body anymore. So this monk who had this lust, he was able to contemplate um, then and see that really this life is something that's not sure and these bodies really aren't attractive. Uh, because one point they have to pass away. And so no one was willing to pay anything for her, and we can uh, take it in terms of the currency nowadays, that not even one dollar anyone would give, not even one uh, Singaporean dollar, or uh, one Thai baht, or whatever currency you use in uh, Malaysia or Switzerland, uh, that no one wanted her, even if they were to pay someone to take her body, no one would want it. 
And uh, so they're able to see that really this thing, it's not uh, beautiful. Um, so oftentimes when the body is young, then it's something quite beautiful. Uh, but when it gets older, and especially when it passes away, then it changes its state. So if the mind can collect together, then it can gain an understanding of this. So we see that raga, it doesn't just have its downsides. Um, and if when this comes up, we have endurance and we're able to practice with us, with it, um, then it can give rise to knowledge. So whether it's the body of a male or a female, if we take that and see it as being something beautiful, then we should contemplate that and follow up on that. Look at the body, bring mindfulness here into the body. Contemplate that when it's a corpse, what will it be like? And perhaps a mental image can arise. But in the beginning, oftentimes, we won't see an imiter or a mental image. It'll just be memories that we're bringing up, or thoughts that we're bringing up. Um, but we use these initially. And we think about it in this way, that I'm going to have to get old, I'm going to have to get sick, I'm going to have to die, and everyone's going to be this way, whether it's males or females, no matter how old or young we might be, you're going to have to be this way. And uh, when the body does die, when it starts deteriorating, um, then the bacteria which are already present in the body, they start to consume it. And uh, so all these bacteria, they start to have their effect uh, because there isn't that heat in the body that's looking after it. Um, but when the elements are in balance, then they're able to take care of this body and to uh, kind of keep these bacteria at bay. And so when this happens, when the body passes away, then it's not something that any of us want. Uh, these bacteria start working away at it and it starts smelling. And the body starts to break apart. So we contemplate in this way, bringing up these memories, these perceptions initially. And sometimes um, when we're sitting, then this lust it can really come up very strong. And even though before there may have been the coolness of samadhi, but now we ask ourselves, why is, the ho why is the heart so hot that it's really uncomfortable and this feeling of discomfort, it can go very deep. So when it's in that state, then we need to contemplate um, the body in this way. Ask ourselves what it'll be like when it dies, that it swells up like this, it starts turning green, it breaks apart, it smells, maggots start to come and eat it, animals start to come and eat it. And I had an experience of this myself when I was staying at Wat Nambapang, at uh, Lumpur Cha's monastery. And there was a body that was there that um, they were waiting to cremate. Uh, but one day an arm fell off that body and a dog took it away to eat as food. Uh, so in the beginning we take these things to be me and mine. We see them as being something attractive, something that we like understand um, that whether it's our body or someone else's body, that it is something attractive. But we need to think that if the breath stops for just five minutes, 
if the fire element isn't there looking after the body, then it quickly turns into something that we don't really like. And so how is it that our minds get deluded and what are we deluded in? And we should come to get to know these things. And uh, when we can bring up this asupa, uh, this perception that the body is unattractive, then this should relieve the lust that we have. And we can ask ourselves, how is it that we become deluded in these elements? How do we get deluded in earth, water, fire and air? We just bring up knowledge in our minds, bring up these perceptions in our minds and contemplate them back and forth, back and forth, so that our hearts can feel at ease. And through this, the raga that used to cover over our minds should lessen and reduce. So in contemplating like this, what we're doing is walking this path of sila, samadhi and panya, of virtue, of collectiveness of mind and of wisdom. We're walking the maga, that path which takes us to destroying the kilesas, the defilements. Um, because these defilements and this attachment that we have, um, like lust for instance, this can cause us a lot of damage. But when these things aren't there, then suffering just doesn't arise because that attachment isn't there. That the cessation has come up due to the absence of defilements and we experience Nibbāna. So in this practice of meditation, of training our minds, we carry on doing it until the mind becomes empty from all attachments. And this here is the experience of Nibbāna. And if our minds have energy, then they'll be able to contemplate in this way. Um, contemplate to gain inner peace, to see things with clarity, to see Nibbāna clearly. And we contemplate the body as being something unattractive, whether it's our body or other people's body. And in this way, the mind becomes bright. And so there's a saying in uh, Thailand that when we find beauty in the body, what we're doing is um, finding, seeing the corpse of a ghost as being something attractive. But what is the corpse of a ghost? When we contemplate, we see that when we die, then it's like uh, we turn into a ghost. And, uh, and this is for both our own body and the body of other people as well. So when we see it in this way, then the mind becomes very bright. But if we still see the body as being something beautiful, then the mind is dark. Um, it's dark uh, because of that delusion. But when we contemplate and see the body as being asupa, something that's not beautiful, um, then the heart becomes very beautiful, it becomes very bright. It gains a lot of energy. So we can do it this way, we can contemplate the body as being just a pile of earth, water, fire and air. And so we have this opportunity now to practice in this way, so we should use that well. And if the mind is really stirred up by these things, and then as we contemplate, it should become calm, it should settle down. And so as we contemplate the elements, and then the mind can uh, become cool, it can become relaxed, it can become settled and collected. So we see um, the body is being a collection of elements. We see the body is um, when it falls apart and decays. And as we carry on contemplating, then we'll understand that there's really nothing there, that it's anatta, it's not self. 
So whether it, or whether we're seeing um, this aspect of inconstancy, then we'll see it right there. We'll see the stress in it right there. We'll see how it's not self right there. And we'll see its emptiness there as well. And the mind gains freedom from attachment temporarily. The mind and the body separate out. The mind and all its objects separate out. And there won't be any greed, hatred and delusion there. And we'll see clearly that this path is really that which takes us to seeing the Dhamma, to knowing the Dhamma, to attaining the Dhamma with clarity. Because we've already experienced emptiness, we know that it's like this. Um, we know that the mind that's empty is this way. That it's not me, it's not mine. And when this understanding is very clear in the heart, then it will become separated from this world. So we see the world as being all the things that we attach to. But in the state, uh, the mind becomes lokutara. It goes above the world, beyond the world. It turns empty. And there's no defilements there anymore. There's no lust. There's no aversion. And uh, the mind becomes very bright. And we can call this a temporary nibbana at this point. So when we see clearly, then it's like this. And the faith that we have will be very firm. We won't have any doubts. And a lot of effort will naturally come up. We'll have this sincerity to carry on with the practice. And so there'll be this fullness of uh, energy and we won't retreat. And so we must try and practice and do this every single day to develop our minds in this way. And so we practice um, like this and how I've explained I'm seeing the body as being just a collective element, seeing it as being something empty. And when we reach the point um, where this path of sila, samadhi and panya, where it gathers together, where there's this maga samaki, the harmony of the path, and then the insight we gain will be very clear. We'll see that really this body is not me, it's not mine, it's anatta. And here knowledge arises. And uh, there's an emptiness that comes up. And we understand that the number of lives that we have left to live in sangsara uh, reduces and reduces. This is what happens when we see into anatta. And then the heart becomes very cool and very peaceful once more. And as practitioners, we understand that the number of existences that we have is steadily reducing. It's coming close to the end. And uh, so we just practice in this way. We shouldn't bring up any doubts. And um, if we have a lot of doubts, then the mind will be very stirred up. So in this instance, this case, then we need to depend upon listening to uh, a lot of Dhamma, a lot of Dhamma talks, to be uh, close to a good teacher. Uh, because when we can listen to this Dhamma, um, then faith will come up and we'll gain understanding. So we do need to initially depend upon a teacher like this. But as we carry on practicing, then we'll gain knowledge of ourselves and we won't need to depend upon a teacher so much. But first, this listening to Dhamma talks is something that's important. To listening to someone who has practiced already, who has practiced this path already. So like Lumpur Cha, Ajahn Chah, for instance. That if we stay close or we really take heed of their teachings, 
um, then our own practice will go very quickly. So therefore now, for all of us, we have a very good opportunity. And uh, it's natural though, however, that when we're practicing, these feelings will come up. This uh, lust comes up, and even though we don't want for it to arise, it still arises because it's just natural. That's just what happens. We may not want for the mind to be stirred up, um, but it gets stirred up by these things. So we try to see that these things are just natural. And sometimes the mind is really in a, in a chaotic state. It's uh, really in a bit of a mess. And so here we need to endure, uh, to bring up this quality of kanti, uh, to put in our practice, to try and bring up our sincerity, to carry on with this practice. So when lust comes up, then we can recite these words of hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth and skin, of kesa, loma, naka, danta, tacho. But if this doesn't stick with our minds, then we need to go a bit further and contemplate the things in this body, contemplate the blood, for instance, or the body just being something unattractive, um, being full of maggots, for instance. We can recite this word, uh, patikula, patikula, uh, which means unattractive or disgusting. And so these meditation words can help to bring our minds to peace, to relieve the lust that's there within them. And so the mind that was originally deluded uh, will turn into a mind that has knowledge. And so when we have this mindfulness and wisdom there, then knowledge will need to come up. And so even though it may just be a little bit um, at first, uh, we just carry on with it. We explain to our minds, we try to teach our minds constantly. Do this every single day, train like this every day. And in no long time, then peace will arise. We will all gain an understanding of the Dhamma. Uh, so may all of you set your intentions in this way. <laughs>